the ADHD community has really grown in the aspect of more and more people are speaking up. They're thinking, oh, you know, I didn't know that this was aspects of my inattentive ADHD and I need to vocalize this. And, you know, I I have people who approach me and they're like, is it okay if I share my story? Like if I do a comic, like, I don't want to feel like I'm copying you. I'm like, no, do it. Do your comic. Your experience is not my experience. And it's so valuable to get it out there. Hello, and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. Here we are already at episode 22. In this episode, I get to interview the talented and visual storyteller known to us as ADHD Bree. Bree started drawing her comics last year after receiving a late diagnosis of predominantly inattentive ADHD at the age of 29. Upon learning about ADHD, she felt like her whole world started to make sense. Already a freelance illustrator by trade, in order to process all the new information and how it applied to her life, she began writing down scenarios and drawing doodles to get a better sense of it, and eventually moved on to creating comics from those. ADHD Brie has amassed a large following on Twitter and Instagram, so we talk about visual learning and why those of us with ADHD seem to relate to and respond so enthusiastically to comics and memes and TikTok videos, etc. in our own journeys of self-discovery during and after our ADHD diagnoses. We also talk about anxiety, something Brie addresses a lot in her comics. Bree's sister was diagnosed with ADHD in childhood, but it was overlooked in Bree because she was the quiet one and the well-behaved one. So we talk about how growing up as quote-unquote the good sibling with parents who were preoccupied with her sister led to a lot of responsibility at a young age, which in turn fostered her anxiety. I think a lot of you late diagnosis women out there who were also quiet and well-behaved daydreamers and doodlers in childhood will definitely relate to Bree's story. Enjoy. All right. Well, thank you for joining me. I'm so yeah. excited. And, um, you know, your your illustrations are obviously doing very well. Or, or re- A lot of people are relating to them. You've sort of blown up since you started <laughs> the account in July. So mm-hmm. not that long ago. Um, so why don't you sort of tell me about uh, when you, that was sort of around when you were diagnosed as well, right? Yeah, I had been going through the diagnosis process for kind of the beginning part of that spring. And I was waiting on the final yes, like cause we <laughs> did a ton of the tests and um, pretty much she was just going through background history and she had my family fill out surveys and all that stuff. Uh, So we were just, she was already pretty much telling me that I was ADHD, uh, but she wasn't doing the official, you are like, (laughs) so right when I started posting was pretty much around the time that I got that final. Yes, Mm -hmm. you are diagnosed officially ADHD. It's funny. I I really needed, even though I had a, my therapist who has a doctorate in psychology, uh, you know, said, I'm pretty sure you have ADHD. Go get an official psychiatric evaluation. I got my psychiatric evaluation. Even though both of these professionals have said you have ADHD, I still like, I needed that doctor to say out loud, you <laughs> have it, because I sort of almost <laughs> felt like I would always still be questioning. I think such a huge part of our identity is just even... It's like the other imposter syndrome. You know, we talk about imposter syndrome with like that feeling, you know, imposter syndrome with entrepreneurialism or in coaching or those sorts of things. But I feel like there's this whole other imposter syndrome when it comes to just constantly questioning, did I, did I, do I just want this really badly? And, Mm -hmm. or, you know, or do I actually have it? Um, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what were some of the symptoms that you were experiencing that led you to even seek out the diagnosis in the first place? So it's funny, I didn't seek out a ADHD diagnosis at all. Like that wasn't my intent with seeing my therapist. I had no idea I was ADHD. The only experience I had had with ADHD before all of this is my husband is diagnosed. He's been diagnosed since his teens and he is predominantly hyperactive. Okay. And he's a stereotypical predominantly uh, hyperactive. And then also my 
um, older sister, I didn't know she was formally diagnosed, but she also was hyperactive as a child. And now I know she would be considered more combined Mm -hmm. as an adult, just because of how adults learn to mask their symptoms. So when I went in, I was actually, oh goodness, um, I decided to go see a therapist because I had had my son the year before and I've, I've always had a lot of struggles, but I have gone through lengthy process over these years of trying to really get to the bottom of that. And I've gone through diagnosis and diagnosis and misdiagnosis. And so when I went this time, I went, well, you know, I've been really anxious. I'm not getting my stuff done. I, you know, I haven't been able to get my stuff done. I am way behind in what I want to do. I have no motivation. I'm not depressed. I'm not sad. Like, I don't feel anything like that. I just, is my anxiety getting too much of me? Is this hormones from the baby? Like, I've had all these symptoms and all these traits way beforehand, but I think it's really hard to piece together all of that especially when you have other factors like being postpartum. Sleep deprivation. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, goodness. Yes, the sleep deprivation. So many contributing factors. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a very, that's so common with moms. When you're you're in like the (laughs) thick of it with young babies, yeah, you don't even know what to question because there's, Mm -hmm. things are changing so much and your life is so radically different. And it's like, there's so many other contributing factors for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, so... I mean, when I went in, I just kind of, I met my therapist fairly new. I just was looking for someone who was close to my area and who I could see in person after, you know, all the, um, you know, quarantine and lockdown stuff. Once that loosens up, I want to be able to see someone in person. So I chose someone closer by to where I live. And I did a little bit of research on her, but ultimately I was like, oh, she deals with stuff with anxiety and she seems pretty experienced. So I went in and we did initially approach it from a, okay, you have generalized anxiety disorder because I've been diagnosed with that. And she maintains that diagnosis as well today. Um, But as I was talking and as I was talking about certain experiences, she stopped me at one point and she said, hey, you know, this is really interesting because have you ever heard of a thing called inattentive ADHD? And I was like, no, I don't know what that is at all. Like I know what ADHD is. And in fact, my husband has told me several times in the past, he thought I was ADHD. And I was like, me? No, like I'm not ADHD. I know how you are. That's not how I am. Um, And so when she brought that up, I was like, I have no idea what that is. She's like, okay, we're going to table it for now because I really want to concentrate on your anxiety issues. But like, just to let you know, that's, that's something I want to talk about. And a few sessions later, she stopped me and she said, okay, you know what? No, I want to get you evaluated. I want to do an evaluation for ADHD because it seems like so much of what you're talking about is tied into these traits. And so we started that process and I started doing my own kind of individual research on top of when we discuss things in person and doing all that testing. And so it was just really cool to suddenly have so much of my life fall into place. You know, you get, I I had no idea what it was. And then as I was going through, I was like, this is the answer to everything. Like, and (laughs) You know, I've gone through diagnoses before. Like when I was younger, I've been uh, diagnosed as depressed, as anxious. Um, I had a psychiatrist tell me that I exhibited borderline personality disorder traits. And that was one that I looked and I was like, I can kind of see it, but at the same point, it doesn't fit. And while I still do think anxiety fits for sure, I I just never felt like a lot of the things they had discussed with me and, you know, did diagnoses with me for ever really fit the way that ADHD fits for me. Mm -hmm. And it's funny enough, since I've been more cognizant of my ADHD and I actually do take medication for it, 
it's actually reduced my anxiety as well. So it's just, it's been a huge change for me. I've, I've had that same experience too. I had, um, you know, I, I still sort of felt like I had postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, even though my youngest is nine, almost Mm -hmm. 10, uh, (laughs) sort of never knew what to do with that. And now since my diagnosis, which was only, was last year as well, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm reevaluating all of the ways, you know, the, the, this long history of depression and anxiety with this whole new lens and this whole new understanding Mm -hmm. and realizing that, um, how intertwined everything is and, and how, I don't even feel like they're comorbidities because it just feels like the depression and anxiety stem from the ADHD or at least the undiagnosed ADHD, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It is amazing. It's funny, you know, being a parent and having gone through pregnancy, childbirth and having newborn and, you know, raising my kid, being around my kid every day, just how much it's really magnified what I've been dealing with my whole life. Like, I think, I really have to credit having my son to leading me to get this diagnosis because I've always just kind of shoved all these different things under the rug. I was like, well, no, I'm just, I'm just lazy or I'm just, you know, you know, I I constantly make excuses for how I was. And I was kind of not while I wanted an answer, I also hadn't had success, uh, success finding an answer. Right. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of had given up at this stage. Well, so. yeah. I mean, I think that it sort of becomes a cycle in terms of the depression and anxiety where it's like, I know something's wrong with me. I can't articulate it. Nobody else seems to quite understand my situation, mm-hmm. you know, and then it just gets worse. You know, it sort of, sort of spirals from there. I think mm-hmm. you were really, yeah, you were really fortunate to have uh, somebody who, if you came to them with what are so often from my experience and from other mothers I've talked to is misdiagnosed or, or immediately Mm -hmm. treated as postpartum depression and anxiety, you had somebody who was able to really kind of see the nuances there and say, Mm -hmm. maybe this is all coming from ADHD. I think I got really lucky because she's actually a specialist in ADHD as well. And she typically sees children with ADHD, uh, but she said that it's been very common that when parents bring in their kids to be evaluated, that's when they realize they also are ADHD right? and You're... they end up getting an evaluation. So um, yeah. just really funny and just kind of, it's interesting how that just all comes together. I know. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't seek a diagnosis for either of my children before I got my own, but mm-hmm. it really did a lot of my sort of the seriousness with which I actually started researching. I think there's like a two-step process. There's like this mere suggestion that you might have it and you're like, huh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with that information. And then there's <laughs> like the second half, which is when you actually start looking into it, you start researching, you start like, like for me, it was like, it, it sort of was this like, oh, I started listening to podcasts. And then I started like seeing more memes popping up. And then it was sort of like, it just snowballs because then it was like, oh my goodness, this is me. This is everything is, is exactly what's been in my brain all these years and all of these thoughts. And I feel so accepted and, and suddenly everything makes sense. And it just like, it's like this snowball going down the hill. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't actually, I didn't have the experience that I think a lot of mothers did do have, which is they are seeking an ADHD diagnosis for their child. And then they're like, oh, this was my childhood. Mm -hmm. But I do sort of feel like um, I am seeing because my kids are older, they're 13 and nine, like I see so much of their struggles and I relate to their struggle. You know, I had those Mm -hmm. struggles as a kid and didn't know what they were. I just sort of always thought I had a learning disability. (laughs) Yeah. But nobody ever said I did. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It is amazing how seeing seeing that shift in perspective mm-hmm. when there's a child. And and then, of course, then there's the whole like hormonal element, which I think is also kind of just now being um, taken seriously or researched or whatever. I think there's mm-hmm. so much more research that needs to be done in terms of women and like when their symptoms become exacerbated. Like it feels like, you know, the onset of puberty and then mm-hmm. having a baby and then also... Um, menopause and you're like what do these have in common surges of hormones Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and I've noticed it's being discussed in the community a lot more which is great because ultimately it's a lot easier to get that information around with Mm -hmm. 
you know, within the neurodivergent community, just how much that stuff like hormones or sleep quality, all that stuff really do impact our ADHD. And for me personally, I know that there's going to be a certain time of the month that my medication is going to be ultimately rendered ineffective just because of how much the hormones are impacting me. Mm, So mm -hmm. it's, I am really interested and I really can't wait to see more kind of formal research done and out there because we know it affects us. We know it happens. So we just need it to really be acknowledged and dwelled into a little bit more. Right. I know. Well, I, I, that's one of those things where I feel like I really should pay more attention to my own monthly cycle. Um, but then of course there's the other part of me that's like, I've always been terrible about paying attention to my monthly cycle because of my inattentiveness. So it's like, I'm really, so I'm like, I should really, you know, as you were talking, I was like, I should really like start keeping track and keeping a note, you know, keeping a journal. And I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're mindful as it's approaching, I honestly, um, I mean, my husband can tell me when I'm about to start because he notices my ADHD just kind of like being just magnified. It's just being really like, I'll be a lot more inattentive. I'll be more forgetful. I'm not noticing the stuff. I'm having a hard time paying attention to conversations and following along with that stuff. And it's just so funny. He can always tell me like, hey, you know, just a heads up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I not even notice it myself? And yeah, right. so I think as I've been more mindful about it, it's been much easier to kind of pinpoint that, oh, this is happening. Yeah. Like the hormone change is happening. <laughs> but have you noticed a change in, in just your relationship with your husband and how you communicate since your diagnosis? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's been a really nice change. We had been working on communication for a while. We've actually been married almost five years this year. And we've always made it a big point to work on communication. Just from our past relationships, all that stuff, we were like, okay, communication, open communication, knowing how each other is feeling, this is the way to go. And so since my diagnosis and since I've really dive deep into learning not only more about myself, but also having a better understanding of my husband and how he operates and works. It's much easier to understand that. And I think that it's allowed me to not only give myself some more grace, but also give my husband more grace, because I think that we tend to be hard on things that we don't understand. And I think having that understanding is just the bridge to improving communication, improving just the way that we do things, the way that we operate as a team mm-hmm. and, you know, as parents too. So, yeah, I imagine that must, that's lovely. I've had a similar experience just because I felt like so many times if there was conflict in my relationship with my husband, we've been together 20 years. So mm-hmm. this is all brand new, but I sort of really feel like, I sort of come at conversations without any shame anymore, you know, like Mm -hmm. my, because like you were saying, like I have so much more grace for myself. My self-talk has changed so much that um, I feel like our conversations are like on this new level of, of just understanding about how we operate. And, Mm -hmm. And I used to come at things with so much guilt and so much shame. And now I'm sort of like, no, this is what is happening. And this is what I, you know, I understand why I'm having these responses and Mm -hmm. I can feel that he, you know, just appreciates that because it must be really tiring to have somebody who just like always pulls out the shame card (laughs) over and over and over again, especially somebody you love and respect, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So now you've done a handful of illustrations uh, about kind of flashbacks, uh, (laughs) but what are some things specifically from your childhood that you'd look back and you think like, oh, that was ADHD. And I had no, nobody had any idea, especially with a sister who was, was she diagnosed Mm -hmm. as a child or? Yes, she was. She actually was, um, apparently my mom got a phone call one day and the teacher said, your daughter is swimming in her chair during (laughs) the lecture. Like she is literally on her stomach trying to swim in the chair 
while the class is going on. And so I think that's also kind of the reason that I was missed by my own mother, because even though she knew that my sister had ADHD, it was just such a different expression of it. Mm -hmm. And so for me as a kid, I was always very, I, I was the stereotypical daydreamer. So when they talk about inattentive tending to be daydreamers, that is me to a T where I would zone out and I'd be in my own little world, just thinking about everything and anything during class. And I'd look like I was paying attention, but I wasn't there. I wasn't mentally in the classroom. I was elsewhere. And in ways that was really enjoyable for me. So it wasn't really an issue, but um, it did start becoming an issue when I had to really be on top of things myself more. Um, From a very young age, I noticed that I wasn't getting as much attention from my parents in regards to my education as my siblings, because I was always a good student in air quotes. I was the one who got decent grades. And so they didn't worry about me as much. And so they weren't overseeing a lot of my, like, okay, is she finishing her homework? Uh, Did she get that permission slip signed? Like all that stuff, they weren't paying attention to that. And from a young age, I'm talking about like second grade, third grade, that. So I had to start managing myself and it was a struggle. I imagine it's hard enough for a child as it is, but I really, really struggled. I would have homework complete and I would misplace it. Like I'd have it that morning and suddenly it's like, oh, it's due. I need to turn it in. Where is it? I don't know. Um, I mean, I could have read like, okay, what's the lesson plan? What's this test going to be? And forget what was on it. Forget what the test was going to be about. I'd forget tests and quizzes. And that actually really developed into an anxiety for me where I started physically getting sick anytime it was around like test time. Anytime I knew a test was coming up, I would get physically ill and to the point where I might even, you know, trigger warning. I don't want anyone to, uh, you know, be blindsided, but I would get so ill, I would throw up. Mm -hmm. And so it was things like this. And on top of this, it's I do have to point out that I also have two specific learning disorders as well on top of my ADHD. So I have dyscalculia and uh, dysgraphia. So dysgraphia is a disorder that deals with writing, where dyscalculia deals with math and math concepts. And the way that they have them kind of defined is a little bit more simplified than they actually are. They deal with a lot more like... You know, for example, dyscalculia can also affect how you are with directions and, you know, left and right, up and down, all of that. And so never ask me to read a map. I can't do it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so as I'm thinking about my childhood, there's a lot of exploring still being done about, okay, what is impacted based on that? What is the ADHD? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Just there's a lot of discovery being done on that end, just going back. And so, I mean, I was definitely a spacey child. I was definitely very forgetful. Um, I have had issues with my sleep from young, young age where I would lay in bed and I could not turn my brain off. I would lay there and it's not like it was anxious thinking. And this is actually one of the things that really pinpointed my therapist into realizing that, oh, this isn't anxiety, like this part, this is ADHD, because I will lay in bed and it will start off as like a simple thought, like, oh, you know, did I drink water? And a few hours will pass by and I don't even realize how my brain got from the thought of water to slam poetry. (laughs) (laughs) Like it just, the way my brain works, it just, everything is connected, even if it doesn't seem like it is. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the first comics that I did was actually about um, my brain being a 
kind of like a TV, but I don't have control of the remote. Oh, right. Yes. I remember that one. Yeah. Somebody else, you were like, somebody else has control. They forgot to turn it off at night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that was a big issue for me as a kid. And it's been an issue for me as well into adulthood until I've been medicated. And mm-hmm. now I am falling asleep much faster at night. My brain has been sufficiently um, stimulated and it calms down. And then I don't have to think about a million things in order to exhaust myself. And children help with that. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny. I think now that I've got the falling asleep faster problem out of the way, having my kid actually, I think impacted my quality of sleep in the middle of the night, because now I wake up at every single noise. (laughs) I know. Yeah. So just can't get a break with that. But with my childhood, definitely looking back, it, there's just so much that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Plus it sounds like you had the added pressure of being the quote unquote easy kid. Oh yeah. (laughs) So, and so there's like, I imagine there's a lot to unpack with that. Mm -hmm. Just like you were saying, like in terms of just that, that internal pressure you would have put on yourself at such a young age. Mm -hmm. Um, and why the sort of more disruptive physical hyperactivity tends to get noticed and and mm-hmm. why the kids who are the daydreamers and the people pleasing mm-hmm. you know um you know those manifestations of ADHD especially in young girls is so often overlooked yeah and i think that a lot of people don't realize that a lot of kids that go through that being you know more inattentive the daydreamers they tend to channel a lot of that into things like perfectionism. Mm. And so that's what I ended up doing. I was just so worried about having things done perfectly. And it was a struggle because I would forget things all the time. I would miss details and it would just compound that, oh gosh, the anxiety around it. And so I have felt for my whole life, like I've been chasing this unachievable goal of perfectionism. And I think that with that perfectionism, a lot of people who struggle with it, especially a lot of people who are ADHD, tend to be way more hard on themselves than, you know, neurotypical people. People who aren't struggling with that stuff aren't going to have nearly as much of, you know, high expectations and standards for what they're doing. Well, and that reminds me, one of the, you know, you had one of your drawings about doodling, which was mm-hmm. so great because it really brought home that I, you know, the fact that we come up with coping mechanisms. Doodling mm-hmm. is a perfect example of a coping mechanism that we sort of intuitively come up with that helps you focus, right? Yeah. And and so it tethers you to the information that the, whatever is that going on, the conversation, the information, like doodling is a way in which we kind of keep our focus, just like fidget spinners and all those things. Mm-hmm. So it's like you sort of came up with this intuitive coping mechanism at a young age and then you're told it's bad you know like there's so there's ways in which we do things to help ourselves and then we get a slap on the wrist because what we're doing is 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 the wrong way to focus you know Mm -hmm. you and and so then you you stop trusting yourself because things that you've done intuitively are are the bad wrong thing to do and so then you're like well now what do I do Mm -hmm. um so that one particular I remember that really stood out to me because well, I'm not actually anymore much of a doodler. I think I've moved on to fidgets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was 100% a doodler, and I'm sure most of us were. Um, and and had only kind of recently, with through my kids, made that connection about how important it is yeah. to have stimulation while, mm-hmm. well, in order to focus, and how there's like a fine line between stim- something that is stimulating and something that is full on distracting, mm-hmm. and you know. It's, I think it's so important for teachers, especially in classrooms, to be able to distinguish between what is, is this going to be stimulating or is this going to be distracting? Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, I had a lot of teachers who would point it out and tell me to stop doodling or, you know, I even, I think there was a few times that I got docked points on assignments for doodling, um, docked points on tests for doodling, even though often I use doodling to think things through and to help me kind of piece through stuff. And so I received a lot of, you know, 
punishment essentially for using my coping skill. Um, but I did have some teachers who recognized they're like, you know, Brie is doing great in the class. She enjoys learning. She just struggles with paying attention and they would let me doodle and I would do just fine. I would do much better in that aspect of being there and present in class if I could have something just to keep me just stimulated enough to focus on what they were saying and talking about, you know, whether that's doodling. Um, I know for other people, it can also come out like my husband is really big on shaking his leg. He bounces mm -hmm. his leg up and down. And I know like before it used to drive me absolutely just up the wall, <laughs> but now I think it's easier for me to recognize like that's the stimulation that he needs in order to focus and mm -hmm. to be engaged in this conversation. And again, I guess that just comes back to the, you know, giving ourselves and others grace. And I think for people outside of our relationship, so, you know, teachers and our um, bosses and colleagues, I think that having just the general stigma and misinformation, if we could, you know, lessen that and we can get more accurate information about ADHD out there, then we won't have those teachers who think that the child is just not paying attention or that they're being too distracting. Like, I think that we could really get some much better understanding and empathy for kids. Yeah, absolutely. I hope we're working in that direction. Yeah. Well, I definitely think that, I mean, having access to these communities having these communities where people are sharing their experiences and their stories and, you know, having their unique perspectives put out there for others to see just makes it so much easier for that to spread around and to be understood. And so I think it was harder for us in our childhoods because there wasn't really that information network out there. You know, there wasn't, you couldn't even go on and Google easily. I mean, as a kid, I suppose I'm a kid of the age of the internet where the internet started becoming a really big thing. And so possibly my mom could have tried looking up stuff, but there wasn't that much information out there. And on top of it, um, with ADD, being something separated from ADHD way back when, before they put those diagnoses together under the same umbrella. It's just so much harder to figure out what to do. And my, my mother would have never known to search for ADD. She didn't <laughs> even know to consider ADHD for me. Right. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> Raise your hand if you're really good with your diet for a few days or weeks but you always end up sabotaging your own efforts. Or you fear having certain foods in the house because you feel like you lack the self-control to avoid them when they're there. Or you feel like everyone but you has this whole eating and exercise thing figured out and you just wanna scream, what is wrong with me? Well, guess what? You are not alone. In my book, Worth It, A Journey to Food and Body Freedom, I share with you my own history with yo-yo dieting and binge eating from my very first diet at the age of 14 to the nearly 30 years I spent on a merry-go-round of weight loss and weight regain. I also share with you the six essential steps that helped me to finally break free from diet culture and rediscover my health and my self-worth. If you are ready to break free from dieting and binge eating cycle for good, and heal your relationship with food and your body, head to worthitwithkatie.com to get your copy of my Worth It book today. Now, I'm curious, do you relate to the H in ADHD at all? Because you mentioned in your bio, I, somewhere I read your bio, must have been Patreon site, 
anyway, that you had mentioned that you were, you were diagnosed inattentive. And mm-hmm. so I feel like so many women are diagnosed combined mm-hmm. and, and we go through that journey of like, I'm not hyperactive. What are you talking about? I don't have the jumpy knee and, you know, I wasn't being disruptive as a child. I'm not hyperactive, but then mm-hmm. you sort of start to realize the hyperactivity, um, manifests itself in your thoughts and losing mm-hmm. track and, you know, or, or not being able to sleep or imp- imp- the impulsivity, the impatience, you know, like not mm-hmm. being able to sit in traffic. <laughs> when, <laughs> when, when my doctor was asking me those questions about, mm-hmm. you know, I was sort of like, oh yeah, I relate to all of that. You know, I relate to that sort of the hyperactive mind element for sure. Mm-hmm. Is that something you feel like you relate to? Yeah. And I think it's true with a lot of cases with uh, inattentive ADHD, just you know, just from what I've seen, this is purely anecdotal, um, but just from what I've seen, a lot of it expresses itself internally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, ha- I have those thoughts that just don't stop. They just keep going. And I might not even be moving on the outside, but internally my brain's just going haywire. So, I mean, absolutely. I do have issues with the name ADHD, I think that a lot of people feel like it doesn't quite express ADHD very accurately um, because it's not a deficit of attention. (laughs) You know, many people explain it, including myself, as it's having a hard time directing your attention in the right place. I think that we're actually very excellent at focusing on things. It's just, do we get control over what that thing is? Or is it the thing that's going to stimulate our brain the most? Right. Mm -hmm. And so you hear a lot about like hyper-focus. I might have trouble reading a chapter for a lesson. Like let's say back when I was in university, I had to read so many articles and I would struggle. It's just a one page article. Why can't I get through this? I'd have to reread the page a million times and I would still forget what it is, but, oh, you give me something interesting, like drawing this particular thing or, oh, let's do some pottery. And I could keep my focus for hours and hours and like forget to like eat or sleep or use the bathroom. So, you know, I, I definitely think that it's, it's interesting taking a look at the name ADHD and being like, okay, how does, does it really apply to everyone at all in aspects? Because Mm, it's just, mm -hmm. it seems so inaccurate in a way. (laughs) Right. So, okay. So then what would you call it? If you could call it something, if you could rename it to something else, what would you rename it? Oh gosh, that's a good question. (laughs) Oh, okay. I won't put you on the spot. I couldn't remember. This is like a new question I'm asking people. Mm -hmm. I couldn't remember if I had sent you that or not. (laughs) I've seen, I've seen others discuss it. And I believe on Twitter, I've seen people put their own suggestions for what it could be. Um, But I think for me, the reason why it would be so hard to answer at this point is because um, I'm a big like advocate for not everyone experiences ADHD the same way. And even within the different subtypes, like I'm not going to be the same as another inattentive ADHD or it's just, it's not going to happen. Everyone expresses things differently, um, even in the DSM itself. So when they're going through and they have the specific list of traits and you need to match like what, six out of nine as an Mm -hmm. adult, um, not everyone's going to have the same six or seven or whatever. They're not going to have all the same traits selected in their diagnosis process. And so I'm feel like I'm continuously not only exploring myself and what being ADHD means for me and how it impacts me, but I'm trying to explore more on how it impacts other people and their unique experiences. So Mm. I think I'm a forever learner. I love to learn. And so I think maybe at some point I'll have experienced and witnessed just a ton of different behaviors and traits that I can be like, okay, you know what, here's a good overarching term. But at this point, I just don't think I could. (laughs) Right. No, that's a great point. And um, I love that you say the, you know, the, the, I love to learn and being a learner because it's, 
It is something I hear over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. I personally had such a dismal experience with high school and had to redo my senior year and then didn't get into university and then finally got into university and then dropped Mm -hmm. out after my first year. (laughs) Like, you know, had this very sputtery experience when I finally got my bachelor's. And um, I just, you know, I hear over and over and over again that experience. And I just love being able to now say like, I'm actually, I love learning, you know, (laughs) like it was something I always felt like this was, I wasn't able to distinguish for myself. I'm like, just because I had a bad experience with school or academia, you know, it doesn't mean I don't love research and I love, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean I don't love to learn. And I used to joke about how like the amount of research I put into buying my first stroller, I probably, (laughs) if I had been able to put that energy into my bachelor's, that would have been great. But um, yeah. yeah. What do you think about the term disorder? Does that, do you relate to that or not? I do. I do. I mean, I know again, everyone experiences it differently and some people think of it as a superpower. Some people straight up just think it's a disability. And for me, I mean, I think that everyone can kind of interpret it for themselves as they wish. So, you know, if, someone doesn't want to describe their ADHD as a disorder. They want to describe it as a superpower. They're free to, and I fully encourage that. But I think that it is important to have it listed as a disorder because it does impact the way that we live and we do our day-to-day life. You know, the world isn't necessarily built for the way that we operate. And so, you know, if I could go back to school, I I wasn't diagnosed while I was in school, of course, I've been out of school for many years now. But, you know, I think about if I had been diagnosed at school, there are different, I could have received help based on my diagnosis. I could have received different kinds of accommodations. And so while I fully encourage people to take their diagnosis and make it positive and do what they will, it is still really important for people who do need those accommodations and they do need assistance. And I think if we took that away, oh, we're leaving them to, to flounder. Yeah. You know? And you, you made that point of how you did struggle in school. And I, I've noticed people that I grew up with that I know have ADHD now that had either similar experience to me. I, I was okay. I wasn't a great, like the greatest student, but I did fine. Um, but I have a friend who actually did exceptionally well in high school, but then completely floundered once they got to university and had to manage their time and schedules themselves and they couldn't do it. And so it's, it's interesting kind of seeing like the differences of how people approach things. I mean, even with myself, where I've always been education oriented, I didn't finish college in the typical four years. I actually ended up transferring colleges, changing my major, having to restart the whole thing again. And then I had to take a break because of financial stuff. And I worked for a while. And then I went back up to, I actually moved out of state and I moved back to my um, original state and finished my degree. Mm -hmm. And so it's always interesting hearing about ADHDers and their education journeys (laughs) (laughs) and where they go and how they do and whether they choose to explore higher education or not, or, you know, do things on their own in their own time and self-study. So, right. Yeah, it is. It's been from the women I've interviewed. It's been one of the things I always like to ask too, because I've interviewed PhDs and Mm -hmm. I've also interviewed people who'd who dropped out five times with five different majors and then eventually (laughs) gave up and everybody's like so exceptional. I think going back to the term of disorder, I think maybe there's sort of, again, like a sort of two-step process with your own discovery and diagnosis where Mm -hmm. in the beginning, you know, to, to discover this diagnosis for me was so revolutionary, you know, it just really sort of felt like everything, um, just radically changed and my view of myself changed and it was so it was so overwhelmingly positive and so so many lights I really mm-hmm. struggled with the term disorder and I remember talking to my therapist like why is it called a disorder this is like so everything that I thought 
you know, everything that I, the, that I felt like I had going for me, I kind <laughs> of would attribute back to ADHD. And so I was like, this doesn't feel like a disorder. And she was the one who really said it similar to what you were saying, which was like, yeah, I, I get that. But, you know, once that kind of wears off, you really do <laughs> still have to take very seriously the fact that you live in a society that is making you have to work 10 times harder for so mm-hmm. many things. And you have to kind of acknowledge that and and give yourself, um, you know, the the support and, and the resources mm-hmm. that you need to, to move forward with this. And so I've sort of come back around to the term disorder and sort of take mm-hmm. it seriously. But I feel like there was this kind of initial euphoric state where I was like, this isn't a disorder. This is a superpower. And, and, <laughs> and, and now I'm kind of coming back to this idea of like, okay, yeah, now I like, now I'm sort of really seeing all of the, the extra work that we have to do in terms of the structures and, and the ways in which we have to really sort of, set ourselves up for success over and over and over again in so many Mm -hmm. different ways. You know, it's funny you mentioned going from really like a positive outlook to maybe more of a realistic, I wouldn't say negative, (laughs) negative is not the term. So more realistic. Sober. Sober. Yeah. (laughs) Cause I feel like I didn't start with a positive outlook Mm. when I started. Like I wasn't like, you know, a Debbie Downer, just like super negative about it. But I, I think I came from a very like, you know, I, struggled so much in life and I had to work so hard to get to where I am and to what I'm doing. And so I think, I mean, I've always struggled with a lot of internalized anger and frustration at myself. Like, why can't you just do this? Why can't, why is this so hard for you? And so when I received that diagnosis and, you know, I was trying really hard not to focus on what ifs and, you know, the past and all of that stuff, but it was so hard. And I had only experienced, I had only seen more information that was based around hyperactive traits. And so I have to say, I started out kind of bitter. Mm -hmm. I was, I was mourning. It was a grief period for me where I was mourning a sense of what I felt I could have achieved and what I could have been had I known about this much earlier. Mm -hmm. And it in a way was positive because it fueled my my drive to research more and to find more experiences about inattentive ADHD. And I think what has been really great is that, especially like last year, I was like kind of going through things. I'm like, uh, beginning of the year, I was struggling to find that much information about inattentive ADHD or that many people openly talking about it. But I feel like the ADHD community, at least, you know, from around where I've been in, has really grown in the aspect of more and more people are speaking up. They're thinking, oh, you know, I didn't know that this was aspects of my inattentive ADHD and I need to vocalize this. And, you know, I I have people who approach me and they're like, is it okay if I share my story? Like if I do a comic, like, I don't want to feel like I'm copying you. I'm like, no, do it. Do your comic. Mm -hmm. Your experience is not my experience. And it's so valuable to get it out there. It's so like, it's priceless to get your unique experience and put it for other people to see. And so that, you know, someone who might be struggling with something in silence and they're not relating to anything might come across it and be like, oh, I'm not alone. And, you know, that's essentially the whole reason why I have been doing these comics. It started out as just something more small and personal for me to use to describe kind of different things to my family and friends. Um, And then other people started paying attention to it and noticing it. And that it's been the drive for me to keep doing it because like, oh, if I can use a, you know, skill that I've built up to get information out there, then I need to be doing that. I, yeah. I need to give back to the community that has given me so much support and me so much information and acceptance and the feeling of belonging. Aww. So, Well, that really comes across. I was thinking about what is it about comics that helps relay so many of these sort of ADHD struggles or, mm-hmm. or idiosyncrasies, you know, because I feel like what, 
I am, we are so drawn to visual um, representation, you know, if it's, Mm -hmm. if it's the memes or, you know, there (laughs) there is sort of, we do share a lot of comics Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and I was been, you know, preparing for my interview with you. I was like, what is it about it? that you know why is it just because we tend to be more visual people or is it just there's something about um these moments in time you know that need to be expressed in in a visual way mm-hmm. almost the same way that like tiktok videos seem to resonate yeah. really well too because you get this sort of minute of time where you can play out uh a, something that happens to you and that is highly relatable Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's something about that, the way in which you can kind of, you know, bring a comic to life that will, will highlight a moment in time so beautifully that we all are like, yes, oh my God, I've experienced <laughs> that so many times. And I think you in particular have a beautiful way of um, highlighting those moments in time, but in a, just like a, just like compassionate educating kind of way you know like I feel like they don't sometimes a lot of ADHD memes can air in that like squirrel you know these sort of ways in which we almost make light of it too much where it's Mm -hmm. like that's actually there's like some actual deep emotion underneath that that we're not addressing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I feel like you really like walk that line so beautifully thank you uh, and you know so one of my questions was does your does your husband have ADHD which you answered really quickly because he was sort of (laughs) he started out as this voice off you know outside of the outside of the square uh -hmm. it was like honey you know and then he sort of come in more as in your in your comics he's sort of actually become like a face now Mm -hmm. yeah and it's so funny he wanted so badly to be in my comics for so long (laughs) (laughs) well he must feel so validated by your journey too you know because Mm -hmm. he sort of saw the writing on the wall (laughs) yeah oh absolutely I mean he was like, I told you so. <laughs> I knew for years. And now you're, you know, now you know. Now you're like going, but you know, I could have told you that way back when. I mean, obviously just in a joking, you know, fun way. Um knew that, but it has been very validating for him, I think, to feel more understood himself as well as like, you know, pinpointing what he saw in me and then, you know, he, he's been so helpful on my journey as well. Just, you know, letting me talk through things and being like, oh, wait, like, do I need to like reel this back? Like what's going on here? And I mean, it's, it's been great. And I've brought him into a lot of the recent comics and I intend to keep him in there because I mean, we kind of are like yin and yang in regards to ADHD. We are so dramatically different. Um, now, the, the funny thing, though, is that I need to learn how to balance in there because a lot of people who are reading my comics, they know my character's face. I, and they know that, you know, ADHD, Brie, that I am ADHD. And so I just need to learn how to get it across that my husband, who is now appearing in, is also ADHD without having to, like, explicitly stamp a... <laughs> ADHD label on him because I feel like a lot of what he does well you did have him in an ADHD Brie hat which was yeah. like a little bit of subtext there yeah <laughs> I guess you're I outing that him little now logo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so I'm just hoping that I can really show and I I never make the comics that have him in there without getting him to make sure that I'm portraying him I mean I know it's just you know short four panel comic, very simple. Um, but like, I want to make sure that I am showing his experience and how he thinks about it as well, because my interpretation of it, I have my own biases. So Mm. I'm hoping that as I'm doing this and I can share more of his story as well for people to see and relate to and get, you know, learn more from, um, I just, again, it's like, there's so much to balance on there. (laughs) And I've, Um, you had mentioned about like kind of the towing the line between some like serious emotions and then kind of like lightheartedness. And, uh, it, I, I didn't really think about that much before. (laughs) So it's really kind of cool. Uh, you pointing that out and it's something for me to kind of reflect on. Um, because I, I 
do think that there are a lot of heavy, serious emotions behind a lot of this. Like, it's kind of like these little moments, they seem so small, but they have so much impact. It's not like it's just an occasional one-off thing. It's stuff that I'm dealing with personally on an every day, every hour, every minute level. And so, you know, I, I need to show that it is impacting me, even if it does seem like it is more silly because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm a human being. I'm not, you know, I'm not like the butt of a joke. Like right. I think ADHDers get treated like they're kind of like clowns, essentially. They get treated like they're kids and that they are immature and that, you know, I, I just feel like we need to have more respect in how we're explaining how ADHD works and more like, again, with the stigma, like just showing other people that this is something that people are dealing with and struggling with and living with. And, you know, that it's not a case of them just goofing off. It's not like, it's very hard to control what we do and be mindful about things. Even, I mean, even if we're trying our best, I cannot I cannot afford to mask myself completely. I know that the term masking is normally used um, for those in the autistic community, but I do find that there is a big overlap between the two and masking is very common, even if it's not explained in the exact same way. Um, It's very common in the ADHD community. And I have found that I've masked my entire life. Mm -hmm. I have really put up this persona because I'm so afraid that if it slips, if I mess up, that I won't be taken seriously. And it's, I mean, it's hard. And I I imagine that it's even harder for those that do express their traits more outwardly, you know? Right. Yes. And that is one thing I've experienced over and over again within the ADHD community is that elevated empathy (laughs) in a community of people who have all struggled. And I think that's one thing that's wonderful about the neurodivergent community in terms of just that the huge spectrum of, Mm -hmm. you know, bringing the autistic spectrum and, and the overlaps there that you were talking about, like there just seems to be so much more empathy than, not in so many mm-hmm. of these very nuanced conversations that we're having. And especially mm-hmm. like, like you were saying about humor, humor is incredibly nuanced and it's something it's, it's a really important coping mechanism for us, but at the same time, it can also be very triggering and also mm-hmm. be very demeaning and, and um, it's okay for me to joke. It's not okay for you to joke. <laughs> you know, you see that in, <laughs> you see that in a lot of marginalized communities too, you know? And so mm-hmm. um, I think, it's it's also fascinating to me the more time I spend like on ADHD Twitter, for instance, and like the more I'm getting to know like the names of, of this community and, and the various personalities, <laughs> like just how um and and while there are like sub conversations <laughs> happening and you mm-hmm. know, like masking, masking is a great example of something that a lot of people are have differing opinions on and mm-hmm. and um and there is a sense of like, are we co-opting a term? Are we not? Where do we fit? Mm-hmm. How can we, you know, there's self-doubt. And and so it's interesting to me that while these conversations can actually take place with kindness and, and, and empathy in this community, and I think more so than most other communities I've ever felt a part of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I give us that much at least. Yeah. And I mean, I think that a lot of it, um, so I think I remember Twitter kind of having that big conversation about masking and other terms that um, it felt like we're being co-opted elsewhere. And I I, honestly, from what I gathered, I don't think that a lot of the people in the autistic community were even saying like, hey, you're co-opting this, you're taking this, you can't use it. Um, From what I was seeing, it was more of, you need to understand where this came from, like where this originated. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people get so excited. And I think this happens a lot in the ADHD community where they hear a term and they're like, oh, this is perfect. It explains everything. And then they start using it and people are like, oh, ADHD community came up with this term. And it's like, no, the the term was around for a while. We had a lot of 
people who did great work, like in the autistic community who came up with this term and have really fought to be taken seriously and to have their rights. And so I think that from just what I've seen, it's more of a, we need to be better at understanding the kind of meaning behind these terms, where they came from and how it can apply to us. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think (laughs) a lot of people in the community get really excited at different terms that come up. And I know that another really controversial, uh, term that came up. Oh, what was it? Sorry. I'm having a moment where I'm like the terms at the tip of my tongue. I did a big comic about it. Um, oh, the, uh, RSD. Oh, okay. Yep. And that's an interesting one. And I, I talked about it and I tried to make it known that this is not an official diagnosis. It's not official research part of things, but it's important to note that it's out there and people are talking about it and using it. And there's a lot of conversations about, is this its own thing? Is this based on emotions or is it like complex PTSD? Is it a reaction from being ADHD and the trauma from existing in a world not built for us? And it's, it's interesting. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not on a side in that. Again, as I said, I'm a forever learner and I like I like to be confident (laughs) about what I'm saying before I really say that I stand behind something. And it's just one of those things that I think that we could really stand to get more research on. We could really stand to have professionals taking a deep dive and being like, hey, is this, you know, is this a trauma response or is this actually a response that's more biological or based on the nervous system, which is another theory that I heard, which is really interesting because I think that like, for me personally, I I don't necessarily relate it as a trauma response. And so I think, again, everyone has their own ways of interpreting these things and the ways that they kind of build it up for explaining their experience. And I think that we just need to be mindful about what terms that are out there that we're using and making sure that we're looking at it through the lens of we're exploring this as a community. (laughs) None of the, none of the ADHD content creators out there like myself or ADHD alien, just, you know, there's so many, so (laughs) I'm not going (laughs) to list a ton of them, but, um, you know, we aren't professionals in that aspect. We're not, researchers. We're not psychologists and psychiatrists. Maybe some are, I can't say, maybe some have a background, but um, we're advocates. And so we're going through and we're speaking on what we know, but it doesn't mean that it's gospel. So I think that when approaching all these different terms, um, just people should be mindful to kind of step back and be like, okay, this is what this person's talking about. Let's not just take their word for it. Let's go Mm -hmm. through and let's explore. Let's learn a little bit more and, you know, go. Because the terms can be very insightful and healing for people and give them labels that they may need to reach that healing. Um, But definitely for using them a lot, just being more mindful about how that works and Mm. all that. Yeah, that's an excellent point in terms of content creating. I hadn't really thought about that extra layer of sort of feeling like you can be kind of um, tossed the title of authority very quickly and oh, <laughs> like yeah. a hot potato. You're like, I don't want this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but at the same time, also wanting to express yourself in the way that you express yourself and also wanting to express your personal experience. And mm-hmm. yet at the same time, there's something about the medium that does sort of have an air of authority to it. Yeah, <laughs> I, definitely. And it's it's just mind-blowing for me just how much authority it can have. I have a moderately sized following on Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, And I've been trying to be a lot more mindful about what I say and how I say it, because again, like, even though I'm not an authority on this, I'm not. And I 
have done a lot of research. I've read through medical articles and all of that stuff. I've done a lot of my own personal stuff, but at the same point, like I'm given this voice of authority that frankly, I don't think that I should be given. And I have to be mindful to not abuse that voice because the whole reason that I want to advocate for ADHD is to remove the stigma and remove the misinformation out there. And the last thing I want to do is be a perpetrator of either. (laughs) So, Uh, so many layers. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, But I think you are so far doing a fabulous job. And obviously so many people are relating to your content and your experience. And um, so thank you for putting it out there. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you and I appreciate your time. And I'm so excited. I feel like I'm a little starstruck. (laughs) (laughs) um, Just really appreciate what you've been doing for for the community. So I'm so glad that you you. agreed to be interviewed. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I've really enjoyed chatting as well. It's always so great to talk with other people. Sometimes, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm creating these comics and I do, you know, participate in the community, but it can be very isolating to be behind a screen. And especially, I mean, I'm under lockdown. I'm not going out. (laughs) So it's, it's nice to have the opportunity to chat with you about, you know, your experience as well. And I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share a little bit more of mine. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the women and ADHD podcast. Also, as you know, we ADHDers crave feedback and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review over on my website, womenandadhd.com, or on Apple Podcasts, or Audible, or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower, and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. Make sure to tag me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at women and ADHD. If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is women and ADHD podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about me, head over to worthitwithkatie.com. That's where I help other women with ADHD break free from the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle for good. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then.